the Lord Jesus, may the deaf hear and the mute speak. May he touch your ears to receive his word and your mouth to proclaim his truth for the praise and glory of God our Father. If you were baptized uh, in the Catholic tradition, that was the prayer that was said uh, over you, the Ephatha rite within the baptismal rite, uh, in which the priest, as he's saying that prayer, is making the sign of the cross over your ears and your closed lips, praying that throughout the course of your earthly life that you would use your lips and your ears for God's purposes. The Lord Jesus made the deaf ear and the mute speak. May he touch your ears to receive his word and your mouth to proclaim his faith to the praise and glory of God the Father. Now, if you were baptized prior to 1970, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. <laughs> it was a little more earthy. And a few years ago, uh, my previous parish, a couple asked if I would do the, the old form, the extraordinary form of baptism for their infant in Latin. And so I said, well, this could be fun, kind of interesting. So we did it. And in the old form, you reenact more literally the gospel, the miracle from today's gospel. So the priest takes his thumb, puts it in his mouth, takes his saliva, puts his saliva in the ears of the baby, and then in the nostrils of the baby. And uh, so at some point, the symbolism had, had morphed from the ears and the mouth to the ears and the nostrils. It had taken on this kind of aroma or fragrance of Christ that, the, that was supposed to be, uh, in my guess is at some point, even back then, without maybe the sanitation concerns that we have, Maybe even back then they thought, I don't know, your saliva to the baby's saliva, like maybe even that's too much for us, right? So they, they do the nostrils, which I'm not sure that's any better. But I was reading, interestingly, so when they, when they talked about reforming the sacraments in the 1960s after Vatican II, I was reading the study group that was in charge of reforming baptism. And they said, the first thing that was very clear was they said, it said, the practice of the priest using his saliva on the baby, this is to quote them, is a practice intolerable everywhere. <laughs> intolerable everywhere, the study group says. So the one thing they wanted to do is remove that symbolism. Um, but they wanted to recover the older symbolism of the ears and the mouth, not the ears and the nostrils. So the current epitha rite has the priest a blessing the ears and the mouth, but just kind of making the sign of the cross over the closed lips of the baby, not using his saliva uh, in the baby's mouth. I mean, you can imagine if in the 1960s they called that practice intolerable, what would they call it? What adjective would we use in the COVID world to describe such a, a practice? Of course, the point of that rite, which is, I love that rite in the baptism um, ceremony, is that our lips and our ears are consecrated for God's purposes. That they're consecrated for God. That in the course of our life, we would hear the word of God and speak it. And you know what? I, I think we can be really cliche about it. It's like, we know that. We know we're supposed to use 
our mouth to speak good things, not just the word of God, but to build people up, not to tear them down. We, we know this. When we know we're supposed to use our ears to listen attentively to people and to be present, right? And as the famous adage goes, to use, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. We're supposed to listen twice as much as we speak, and we're very bad at that usually, right? We kind of, we kind of know all this. So I wanted to focus in on a couple things with our speech and hearing that, I, I don't know, I've been thinking about uh, for a little while, maybe more relevant to our culture. The first is the allure of anonymous speech. So we've always been able to speak anonymously and badly about others, right? We call it talking about behind someone's back, right? To speak anonymously. But with, with the arrival of technology and social media, we have the ability to speak anonymously about people on a much larger scale and actually to be pretty anonymous. I mean, on some platforms, you don't even have to have your real name. You can speak, you're hidden behind the screen while you heap insult upon insult upon another. So the allure of anonymous speech is that I can speak things, I can say things about you that I would have never said right to your face. Because we might have gotten into a fight. Back when I was in junior high, we would just fight these things out in the bathroom during the lunch period, you know, with fist fights. Right? But something I would never say directly to your face, I can now post. And so that allure of anonymous speech, without ever having to confront the person that we're criticizing, right? So it flies in the air of what Jesus recommends, right, elsewhere in the gospel, which is like, if you have a problem with somebody, go to the person, talk to them about it. Right? That's how you that's how you resolve things in an adult manner. And we have this incredible allure of anonymous speech that I think we have to really be careful of. Um, you know, there's that, I'm sure some wise person sat you down at some point and says, like, if you're going to send a nasty email, an impulse email, wait 24 hours before you hit send. Right? At some point, somebody hopefully told you that. Right? I, don't, I haven't always followed it, but that's good advice. Like, wait 24 hours before you hit the send button. I think we should apply that generally speaking, to more of our speech, right? That when we're, we're tempted by this allure of anonymous speech, uh, not just speaking behind people's back, but in fact posting for others to see behind people's back, that we should be very uh, discerning uh, about those things. The other thing with speech that I wanted to mention is um, a concern I have over, I, I'll, I'll call it the soundbite culture. That speech has now been reduced to slogans or sound bites. Right? We define people and ideas by the lowest common denominator. And we try to capture and define people and ideas by slogans. And to me, in my view, slogans almost never capture the full reality of something or a person. Right? They, they can capture some aspect of truth, right? Some Part of reality, but to me it suggests that we aren't thinking deeply about things when we resort to slogans, when we re when we resort to sound bites. We're not thinking deeply because rarely is something as simple as a sound bite or a slogan makes it. I think we're drawn to it because it's convenient, it's easy, it lets us put people in a, and ideas in a box, right? We're drawn to that. 
But things are much more complicated. And I'm always drawn to the fact that Jesus doesn't really talk in sound bites in the Gospels. There are other wisdom teachers in the ancient world where we have just like sayings, like one-liners, right? But Jesus doesn't really do that. In fact, I think that's why he's so drawn to parables. Because there's an ambiguity in parables. There's kind of a vagueness. There's kind of multiple a multiple interpretive lens to them, that he likes the idea that you're wrestling with the parable. He doesn't just give you the conclusion or what you should take from it often. And so I do worry today uh, about this soundbite slogan culture that we use with our speech. Again, it doesn't mean all slogans are off base in capturing some aspect of reality. Um, but it seems to me that it's an element of our speech that we have to be careful of, right? That we have to try not to resort to sound bites and slogans about people and ideas as quickly as we're maybe tempted to. With our ears, it's just kind of a flip of what I've just been saying, which is um, we are often complicit in not speaking up, in, in hearing bad things in our presence and not having the courage to speak up for someone when we need to. Right? So it's not just about listening to others in front of us and being present, but it's also about if I hear something that needs to be addressed, uh, the courage to address it. Right? And we've known this with gossip, right? Gossip is really common. And um, it's amazing how weak we are about gossip generally. If somebody's talking bad stuff uh, behind somebody's back, we, we struggle sometimes to stand up and say, hey, what are we doing this for? What is this helping? Right? I think we're treating them unfairly. Right? We're judging them rashly. We're putting them in a box. Right? We struggle to do that. In fact, when I when people confess gossip in the uh, confessional, I often give people kind of a four-tiered approach to overcoming it. Because like we have to start somewhere, and generally we don't go right from never addressing gossip to like right standing up for everybody. It's usually a tiered approach, and so I say the first thing is don't start it. That's the first thing. Right? That's totally within our control. We don't initiate gossip. Okay, that's number one. After you've conquered that, go to stage two, which is in the presence of other people who are gossiping, don't speak. Don't contribute to the gossip. That's number two, right? because that's totally within our control as well. Number three would be getting to the point that you can find a creative way to change the subject. Find a creative way to deflect the conversation. Find a way to get out of the conversation. If you think it's uh, really problematic and kind of slanderous uh, to someone else. The fourth stage, that's the highest character, actually speaks up and says, guys, this, this is inappropriate. We shouldn't be talking about this person like that. Right? This is bearing no fruit, not constructive. We're not talking about how we're going to help them. We're just making ourselves feel better by putting them down. We need to stop this. We wouldn't want them doing this with regard to us. That's the fourth level, and that takes some courage. It takes some guts. It takes some guts. The fact that we don't do that all the time gives me some suspicion about our confidence that we would have spoken up about all the grave injustices of the past. And I am really suspicious of, of people that have this incredible confidence that if they had lived in the antebellum South 
before the Civil War that they would have been on the front lines fighting slavery. I'm very suspicious of people that are absolutely certain that if they were in Germany during the Holocaust that they would have spoken up against Nazi Germany. When we can't even speak up in a conversation in which someone is being unfairly gossiped about, what in the world gives us the confidence that in the face of actual threats of death or well-being that we would have had the courage to speak up about something like that? I'm very suspicious, even of myself, because we are incredible at rationalizing, we're incredible at turning a blind eye to injustice that's going on in the present, we're incredibly good at twisting what's okay for the sake of some little personal gain. Why in the world would we be 100% certain that in the face of grave injustices in the past that we would have been on the front lines of the prophetic uh, voice? Uh, I think it's a way of just patting ourselves on the back and making ourselves feel better about past generations while at the same time kind of letting us off the hook for speaking up in the present uh, with courage. Um, and so, anyway, these are some things, I think, with our ears and with our lips, right? We all know the general things we shouldn't be doing uh, with our ears and with our lips. But those are some subtle things, I think, the, the allure of anonymous speech, the defining people by slogans, right, and by, by sound bites, and then complicity in not speaking up when we've heard something uh, maybe that's an injustice that we should speak up about. So uh, the FFFA right, which most of us don't remember because uh, we were babies, consecrated our lips and our ears uh, to God's purposes. Uh, let's strive for that. It means in Aramaic to be open. Let's be open to the obstacles that our lips and our ears provide in the way of building up God's kingdom on earth. Let's try to address those. Let's also be open to the various ways that maybe we're not uh, examining the full extent of what our lips and our ears are capable of. Uh, in building up that kingdom. So friends, the Lord Jesus made the deaf ear and the mute speak. May he open our ears to receive his word and our mouths to proclaim his truth to the praise and glory of God.